There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Opera star Denise Graves joins a star-studded lineup Sunday at the National Memorial Day concert. I spoke with the Emmy and Grammy winner about her esteemed career as a mezzo-soprano. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me here. Is this your first time doing it? I mean, why, why was this such a, a obviously an important cause to take part in? No, it isn't my first time participating with the Memorial Day concert. I did so for the first time maybe 10 years ago or been even longer, but maybe about 10 years ago. This year, however, feels very different with everything that the whole world has gone through um, with the pandemics on many, many levels. Um, with the recent events in Washington, with the changing of power, with all these incredible turning of the pages, this is a particularly poignant moment for this song. You know, when I'm from Washington, D.C., born and raised, and whenever I have the opportunity to perform in my hometown, it's always one of, uh, you know, that I, that, that I leap at the opportunity and, and am grateful to have been invited. You said that it's a poignant moment for this song. Uh, what, what will you be performing? Remind our listeners. Okay, so I'm performing a piece <clears throat> called American Anthem that was written by a very dear friend of mine, Jean Shear. Um, I also performed that piece um, for the final services of the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, uh, and I sang it many years ago for the inauguration also of President George W. Bush. So it's been around for a, a little bit. It's a, it's a piece that um, I think resonates with all people, certainly with all Americans. It's really about the responsibility that each of us has and to how we show up in the world, what we offer each other, how we extend ourselves to each other and how we should offer the best that at the end of our time here, at the end of our service here on planet earth, what do we want our legacy to be? What do we want our time here to be about? Um, and that we want this, we want to offer the best, uh, the best version of ourselves to the world. For sure, for sure. Perfectly said. You mentioned the two performances, you know, once at the inauguration for George W. Bush in 2005, his second election, and then uh, again with the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, when, you know, she was lying in state there in 2020 at the Capitol. And then I, actually, I think you also performed at the National Cathedral, right, for the 9-11 service with a bunch of, you know, politicians and dignitaries there too. You've sort of transcended just going out to see you at a concert, you know, just the entertainment realm. You are now etched in history at these major cross sections, these major moments in, in time. I mean, that has to be a huge honor. What a beautiful thing to say. Thank you so much. I did not perform American Anthem after 9-11. That was um, America the Beautiful, and that was the Lord's Prayer. But um, yes, of course, it's a tremendous, tremendous uh, uh, honor for me to be asked and to be associated with these important historical moments. It's always, you know, for you mentioned the 9/11, having 
performed at uh, the National Cathedral. And also I should say that President George W. Bush uh, during his administration had appointed me cultural ambassador to the United States through the Department of State. So I was sent out on behalf of the United States as an ambassador to many different countries to meet people, to do master classes, to do meet and greets, to listen. Um, that was particularly at a time when we were, um, at least the president at that time was concerned about how America was being perceived around the world. And so there were a few of us who went out on those missions. Yo-Yo Ma was another one. And the late Mary Wilson was another, another one of the ambassadors um, sent out. So we had those missions around the country. That was a tremendous honor um, to have to do that on behalf of your country. And I, I, you know, you know, my mother used to say when I was little, you know, if you did something, you you have to live your life in a way as if you. When I was little, she'd say as if your grandmother were watching you. And now that I'm a grown a woman and and a parent myself, I think of it in terms of my children that you have to live your life in a way. Um, as if your children were watching you. Um, and it's, somebody's always watching you anyway. So I'm, I'm, having said that, to go out as an ambassador um, representing the United States of America, it really makes you sort of have to get your act together and, and, and be conscious of how you present yourself, how you interact with other people, how kind you are, how understanding, how tolerant you are, because that's what's, you know, what's going on in the world now is usually when people, when we look at a lot of the conflict that's going on in the world, it's because somebody feels slighted, somebody feels dismissed, somebody feels misunderstood and not heard. And I think it's important for each of us, like the song says also too, um, in the American Anthem song, is that we have to really be tolerant, to be patient, to be understanding, and to, to try to find the best version of ourselves to present and interact with people. So I would say that, that that's certainly one thing that that kind of a appointment um, caused to be really birthed in me in the way that we handle ourselves on a daily basis with each other. So it's about taking personal responsibility. That is such great advice. Anyone out there listening, uh, especially younger people, well, anyone of any age, really, that's great. That's perfect advice. And, and uh, that's really cool that you were told that at such a young age. I think to be told it is one thing to have to live. It is quite something else, as we all know. Right. But we can all try better every day. Right. Just remind our listeners, I know you, you were born, uh, you know, in, in D.C., but like wh where exactly did you grow up and how did you get into music or, you know, especially opera music? Right. Southeast D.C. attended the D.C. public schools, uh, W.B. Patterson then Friendship uh, Junior High. And then I did my high school studies at the Duke Ellington Performing Arts High School in Georgetown. So that was a, a real blessing and a real haven for me. And that was, attending that school is really what exposed me to classical music and um, changed my life, really put me on the path that I'm on now. And uh, so I'm incredibly grateful to have had the opportunity to attend such a spectacular school where they're doing such beautiful work on a daily basis with uh, our talented youth. So I'm really proud of them and proud of the work that they're doing and being able to carry that forward with the work that we're doing now with our foundation, the Denise Graves Foundation, working with um, young people, working with um, the voices and talents of tomorrow, working with hidden figures, those, um, those important American figures that have been left out of the history books. That's what we are concerning ourselves with. Although we are a vocal arts program, it is 
music is at the root of what it is that we do, but we're looking at American history, looking at some of the great heroes and being able to tell those stories, those stories that have not been told. As a, as a, as a storyteller, as someone who has spent more than 35 years telling stories, it's my great honor now through the work that we're doing with our foundation to be able to share the stories that of, of great American heroes that people may not know about like Mary Cardwell Dawson or, or like uh, uh, Elizabeth Taylor Greenfield or like uh, Sisseretta Jones and these wonderful, wonderful women who made an impact on the industry and on America as a whole. So um, that's the work that we're doing now. But I would say that that was really fostered in me because Duke Ellington School gave me such, um, oh my gosh, it was really my nourishing ground. It was really where, uh, you know, I, I, I'm so grateful to the work that was done there to what was imparted and poured into me while I was there. And so now um, that's really given birth in me, a need to want to share and to offer what I've learned and to share that with the next generation of, of young people coming up. That's so great to hear. Again, everyone, it's the Denise Gray's Foundation. You, you just started it. it, it just launched, was it just this year? It was just this year during COVID, just um, you know, the end of January, and so we're moving fast and furious to to get out there, you know, to get funded, to let people know about the work that we're doing. We're incredibly proud of the work um, that we're doing right now. One of our main focuses is on um, the National Negro Opera House that's in Pittsburgh in the Homewood section. We are working to bring awareness um, to the fact that that this first opera house that was run by. This woman, African-American woman, was the longest running, the most successful um, opera house of its time. She's considered the first woman of opera. And that, that this monument, this historic monument still exists. It, it's on the verge of collapse, but we are working hard um, to, to, um, to uh, you know, to, as I said, to raise awareness and to also fundraise for that so that we actually do that rebuild. And it is projects like that, projects like the one that I did with Tulsa Opera that was really about raising awareness of the Tulsa race um, riot massacres through music. So we, we, we are doing these projects and um, through music where, with music and American history. So that's what we're doing with the, with the, with the Denise Grace Foundation. We're, we're using the voices of the past and having that inspire the voices of tomorrow, of the future. I, I'm ecstatic that you're raising awareness for, I mean, I feel like Tulsa for so long, it was like, you know, swept under the history books and no one was talking about it. And I feel like now every, it's so, it was such a horrific event. And now, you know, it's finally starting to get some, you know, attention in pop culture. I know that what HBO's Watchmen dealt with it. Uh, I think there's a new AFI docs documentary coming out. And of course your foundation, just so, Hey, before I move to the next question, thank you for for shedding a light on lost history. History is so rich and there's so much out there that we don't know that hasn't been integrated into our learning in the schools. And so well, that's one of the things that we aim to, to change through our foundation. Oh, absolutely. Um, and thank you for doing that. Um, in terms of your opera career, I mean, I know, I think you made your de debut at the Metropolitan Opera in like 95, um, but you've had so many signature opera roles over the years. I mean, Carmen, of course, uh, Samson and Delilah, um, uh, Toni Morrison's Margaret Garner, a little more contemporary work. Um, do, any memories of, of either of those three? Or, or I guess my question is, do you, do you have a, a role or two that really stands out as one that you that would be one of your favorites? Well, I think that probably every artist will tell you that the most important thing that they're doing is what they're working on at the moment. 
Um, right now, I've just been given the opportunity to direct a Carmen. So that is right in, uh, that's taking up a lot of my time at the moment. We're also doing the Mary Cardwell Dawson, this great American hero that I spoke of, whose, whose house we are working to preserve in Pittsburgh. Um, there is a play with music being done about her life. I've been asked to play the role of Mary Cardwell Dawson. That will premiere this summer at the Glimmerglass Summer uh, Opera Festival. So that's August 5th. And, um, and then, so there's this new opera and there's a film that I'm doing called Through the Fire. Um, and then there's the directing of the opera Carmen. I've had a huge experience um, with being on the other side of the proscenium arch playing the role of Carmen. Now this is a very, very different task and an overwhelming assignment um, to, to tell this story through all of the different experiences that I have had, all the different productions that I've had and to be concerned and worry about the entire piece itself. So that is huge. So I wouldn't say that I have, a, in terms of answering your question of I have a favorite role, there've been so many roles I've been, my life has been just bursting and my cup runneth over in terms of the amount of um, joy and beauty that's been in my life through the work that I have had the, the great honor to do with singing and telling stories. So I couldn't say that there is one that stands out more than others. There've been many things, you know, I, I, I well, let me think about that. <clears throat> when I was a, a young artist with Houston Grand Opera, I was part of <clears throat> the program, they're doing an educational outreach and probably one of the performances that was the most impactful to me still to this day was when I had to go to a prison and um, perform. That was that was quite something because it was something that I, uh, I was very, very um, hesitant to, to do. Um, I was afraid to do actually. I didn't know how it would be received and probably the, the performance that had the most impact over my career. So that's one of the things that we definitely wanna do with the Denise Grace Foundation with our young artists is have them go out into the communities, have them go out into schools and to educate about some of these hidden figures, go into prisons, go into assisted living homes and to share this information um, um, with the American public. Wait, wait, before we move on, what, I need to know more about that show. Wait, when was this, Where? what prison, where was this? Oh, it's many, many years ago. It was actually through the Opera Theater of St. Louis. I was um, a young artist there. Well, that was back in the day, that was, gosh if I it was 89 90 something like that um and it's part of their educational outreach which a lot of opera companies do um we know in in, in the states at least do a lot of educational outreach with getting out there into schools and and introducing opera and do what we call informances or lecture recitals where you talk a little bit sing a little bit and so I was assigned to go into prisons to do that and I did that and 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 I would say to this day the it was probably the most impactful moment of my career. And one that we are going to now incorporate in our foundation with our young emerging artists and, and have them do the same sort of thing uh, where, where they're sharing and educating and uh, bringing light um, through music um, and telling an American story at the same time. That is just so awesome. You did your own Johnny Cash, Folsom Prison. <laughs> How about that? How about that? That's right. And but you know what? Um, just I was reminded of this when I was watching that um Ken Burns PBS you know country music series. But Merle Haggard was an inmate there, and he got inspired to do his whole career by seeing Johnny Cash play. Is that right? Yeah. It, so 
I guess my point is you don't know who's maybe in there that now is going to go on to an opera or, you know, artist career. You have said it. You have said it. That's so important. Thank you for saying that. I tell my students all the time, you never know who's in that audience. And even, you know, if you're at Carnegie Hall or if you're in someone's home or if you're in a schoolroom, you just don't know what impact that will have, the lasting impact that that will have on someone's life and how that could change their lives. So that's always exciting to see and to know. And I appreciate your sharing that with me. It's absolutely so important. And that's why we do what we do. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Um, awesome. Well, I'd be remiss if I don't uh, ask you about your, your Grammy and your Emmy. I, your Grammy was was what? For Porgy and Bess? And then... Um, the Emmy was for um, a PBS show that we did some years ago called Denise Gray's Breaking the Rules. And I and that was as a producer. That was through my company, Carmen Productions, that we won that Emmy. And then um, the Porgy and Bess was recent, actually, um, through the Metropolitan Opera's um, new production of Porgy and Bess, uh, that that particular opera had been uh, away from the theater for more than 30 years. So it was a historic moment that opened up the season. Well, so wait a minute. So last season, everything was closed, but the previous season. So that was the 2019, 2020 season. So that was wonderful. That was beautiful. It was a beautiful production. And, and for me, I had three of my students also in the cast with me. So that was a real full circle moment. Every time I looked at them, I felt my heart was gonna explode and just such happiness looking at that. You know, this is what you wanna see. You wanna be able to impart and to share what it is that you've learned and to have them go out and carry that out there into the world. And then they were on one of, one of the greatest opera stages in the whole wide world. And I was there with them being able to see that. So that was a real full circle moment. I love that you keep talking about, you know, your students and the next generation and, um, you know, through the foundation. And I know you, I think you've done some teaching at Juilliard too. Like, uh, it's great that you give back. Um, and speaking of which, maybe the crown jewel and you're underrated in your career, Sesame Street, man. I mean, <laughs> that's right. That made me the coolest mom, the coolest aunt, the coolest daughter. That, that cool points for me, like flew off the charts. You know, when we did that, that was just so much fun. And I will tell you also a lot of work, a lot of work. I mean, we filmed for like nine hours and um, but what joyful work it was. How much fun was that to do? And and even though you can see the puppeteers and they're they're contortionists, you know, they're in all kinds of shapes all underneath you. It still feels like these characters are real and are alive and and they ask you to just relate to them. And that's what it felt like. I, I felt like I, I really had an experience with Elmo, you know? <laughs> so it, that was a beautiful, fun experience. One of, one of the most fun things that I've done um, in the career, without a doubt. For sure. Yeah, I mean, everyone thinks of it as just a, you know, a fun educational kids show. But a lot of people forget how just how darn 
groundbreaking it was for you know um you know diverse casting i mean it, what was like i think it started in like 1969 or something and man it was way ahead of its time for right. on screen you're absolutely and um, i don't think that there's a kid anywhere because now we know that it's sesame streets all over the world but we all grew up with sesame street my grandkids now are watching sesame street you know so um you from generation to generation to generation this is like a an American, you know, foundational, fundamental, you know, rite of passage for all people. Yep. And you are officially uh, part of it uh, forever, you know, etched in, in on screen. Um, and for, let's say, maybe a little bit more of a highbrow on PBS, you know, Sesame Street was for the kids, but you also did a great performances uh, episode on PBS, right? Well, do you remember what you performed for that? Well, I've done several, actually. I've done several, and I have one uh, for the new year. Um, there was a, a great performance that was taking place at uh, Mount Vernon. I actually sang in the Slave Cemetery. That was a, a deep river um, by Moses Hogan. That was really, really, really beautiful, beautiful moment. Um, Anna DeVere Smith did um, uh, the spoken word to that. And then I sang Deep River in the Slave Cemetery itself. Really, really, really gorgeous. But um, yes, Porgy and Bess has done many uh, great performances. I've, I've done uh, Doubt. Um, you may remember the film with oh, yeah. um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes, uh, Meryl, Meryl Streep, I think Viola Davis. We yep. did that opera. Um, that was on great performances. Uh, we did Marnie from the Mets, the, the, the Alfred Hitchcock piece. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> that was on great performances. So, so many, so many blessings over these uh, wonderful years. Oh, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you. You know, you've been more than generous with your time. I uh, stuck around longer than I was even uh, hoping for. So I really appreciate it. Before we run, um, let's end on this. You know, we're talking about all these moments that you've, you know, in history that you've gotten to perform in. And your portrait is in the permanent collection of the National Portrait Gallery. Oh, my God. Oh Are you also featured God. in the uh, African American History Museum as well? Like, how? how yes. That's just all time stuff. Isn't it crazy? I mean, I am just so, again, I say, you know, my heart explodes, uh, you know, with this. I, this is even, you know, my father, who's um, my, my, my stepfather, who's alive with us now, <clears throat> as we know, particularly as African-Americans, so much of the history has been lost, right? It just wasn't recorded. And even my stepfather now doesn't know his actual birth date because he wasn't allowed to, you know, his mother at that time wasn't allowed to um, go to the hospital. So they had the babies at home. And that's just a few generations away. And to have this, wonderful piece that was done by the, um, the great and the late um, Nelson Shanks, this wonderful piece in the National Portrait Gallery, which is gorgeous, by the way. And, you know, he, Nelson Shanks came to my home. He came to my closet. He said, I want to choose what you're going to wear. And it, it was seven weeks, seven weeks of actually standing from that. He would not work from a photograph. So th that was live, standing in heels, you know, the whole time. But to have it in, in and you know the, one of the, the greatest museums and in my hometown is a tremendous tremendous honor for someone who comes from a history that's been lost and now to have that you know um, there in perpetuity I don't know I, I guess they recycle them but um, to to have that tremendous honor to be. Um, in the halls with, you know, Michelle Obama and these amazing American figures is just, is just, I, I don't even know that the words really exist. That you probably have to sing a song or dance it to try to express how it, the, the, the honor that it 
you know, that it fills me with and my family and how proud we all are. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's the last uh, DC institution that will be honoring you because I I have a prediction that the Kennedy Center honors will come knocking. Oh! I feel like, well, let, let's let's start. Let's let this, the campaign for it start here. If anyone's listening. to w- <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, no, think about it. Every year there's look, there's like five, five honorees. Right. And like four of them are usually like. TV movie stars, you know, musician, but there's usually that one. The fifth one is always, you know, there's usually opera singer or well, you know, hard, right. what I mean, like an orchestral person. Like, I think that could be you very soon. Oh, well, from your mouth to God's ear, but I think, I don't know, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I thank you for thinking of it that way. Yes, in, in the, you know, in the earlier years, it was mostly the refined arts. And right. then lately it's become more popular. You know, we, you see, uh, Oprah for sure, but um, we've had lots of wonderful opera singers. We have had Grace Bunbury and Martina Arroyo, of course, Leontine Price. We've had great musical giants like Leonard Bernstein. You know, we've had Philip Glass, but lots of wonderful, wonderful ambassadors from the classical um, genre. So, um, you know, and then there, there, there are lots of beautiful, beautiful, beautiful artists who have done great work out there. So there's a lot to celebrate. Yeah, you know what I say? To, to your point, um, you know, as we're going forward, maybe the goal, let's knock down any distinctions and walls between the quote, you know, high arts, low arts. Like I remember when LL Cool J was there. A couple That's of what times. I, yes. And he was saying, he, he, we had the same conversation and he was like, you know what? Hip hop is a high art. And, you know, so opera maybe can be a low art too. You know what I mean? Let's, let's, uh, let's have everybody, you know, appreciate all styles. That's my, that's what I say. I love that. Music is music, right? Music is music. And, um, you know, it's as varied as we are people and human beings, everybody different, everybody with a unique offering. So um, absolutely, absolutely. Whatever it is that floats your boat or whatever, you know, whatever it is that speaks to you, right? That speaks to your heart. For me, it was classical music. But if you if you rode with me in my car, you'd hear everything in the car. You'd Wait, hear it's it. on the playlist in the car. I got to know that now. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you'd hear everything. You'd hear some classical music for sure, because I honest to God really do love it. But not just vocal music, you know, you hear symphonic works, but you would definitely hear like Mary J. Blige, you know, uh, for sure you'd hear like Tony Braxton, some, a lot of these wonderful women that I love. Um, you'd hear some jazz, you'd hear Ella Fitzgerald for sure. Um, you know, so some Wynton Marsalis, You'd hear a little bit of everything in the car. You know, you'd hear some hip hop too. And you'd hear people well, like, you never you know, know. maybe Mary J. Blige drives down the road listening to Denise Graves. Who knows? Ah, that's great. Well, you know, I'll tell you a story once uh, at the White House. This one, this must have been during one of the Kennedy Center Honor events. Um, I was in the line next to Tracy Chapman and I heard her say, oh my God, you're Denise Graves. And I thought I would fall over. Cause I was like, oh my God, you're Tracy Chapman. You got a fast, huh? You know, like <laughs> this is the stuff that I grew up on when I was in the conservatory. I couldn't believe that she, you know, that she knew my name and, and knew my work. But um, uh, so, because, you know, the classical music industry is a much smaller industry. But uh, so, yeah, that, I mean, I love all of those wonderful artists that we, you know, I was on my Peloton this morning. I was rocking out, 
you know, the Britney Spears and, you know, all these, you know, fantastic artists. I love that kind of, I, I love it. I, it informed, music is music for me. And I tell my students all the time, listen to everything because everything is going to inform your music making, right? So I grew up on gospel music. So for me, it was, you know, Richard Smallwood. It was the Mighty Clouds of Joy. It was Mahalia Jackson, you know, Shirley Caesar. These were my heroes, you know, growing up. Um, and, and, and now I listen to everything, everybody. I mean, I fell in love, you know, with Michael Jackson. I was sure I was going to marry him. I was so sure that <laughs> I met a pretty awesome guy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, this was really, really great. Thanks so much for, for doing this. Again, everybody, um, you can see uh, Denise Graves Sunday, 8 p.m. on PB for the National Memorial Day concert, just a, you know, a somber holiday, but a, a way to salute, you know, all those that, that paid the ultimate sacrifice and also, you know, highlight some, some great artists and performances as well. So, hey, thanks so much. This turned out great. I, I really appreciate you joining us. I appreciate your doing this and for having me and for giving us this moment. I enjoyed it very, very much, Jason. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.